You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. If you recall, back on day six, God, he made man. Let us make man in our image. Remember that? Right? So God made man in his own image. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to subdue all the creatures. And God, he tells them to, that they can eat from any seed-yielding fruit tree or whatever that's there. To eat. It's all there to eat, and that was essentially chapter one. Then on the seventh day, God, he ceased from his creation. Was it because he was tired? No. It's because he wanted to stop and see and take delight in his creation. He wanted to enjoy what he had made. And so this past week, during the life group discussion that I hand out, that I distribute to all the life group leaders, I hope they announced it. I'm sure they did. Um, my challenge, my group challenge to you all was to find a time this coming month, October, or this month, October, to go out and interact with nature, with your groups. So if that means to go whitewater rafting, or that means to go, you know, apple picking, or just going to hike Great Falls on the Billy Goat Trail, or do something outdoors, I want to encourage you guys to do that. Just embrace nature, go bird watching, do whatever it is that, you know, that you would enjoy. But that's, uh, so if your life group leader hasn't told you that, remind them, okay? And that will take the place of your life group meeting for that week. All right, so I, I really want you guys to experience that. Now, the history of man starts in chapter 2, verse 4, the beginning of our passage today. So let me break it down for you guys. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, till Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, you have the creation of the universe. That includes man. Starting in chapter 2, verse 4, to the end of Genesis is the history of man, the generations of man. So this verse here in chapter 2, verse 4, is actually pretty significant because this is the line of demarcation. In other words, this is where the Bible is introducing a new idea. This is where the Bible essentially has flipped the page and said, this is a new section, and we're introducing a new beginning, the beginning story of the generations of mankind. Isn't that interesting? This is, everyone just raise your eyebrows for me. Like, ah, yes. Okay. Well, according to the Hebrew language, it's a big deal. They make it a big deal. They force it upon us, okay? But it's a big deal about creation. Especially now, from Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 and onward, it pertains to the story of man. So it centers on man now. It's kind of a weird concept, isn't it? Now we're talking about Genesis focusing on man. By the way, someone asked me last week, um, if Moses is the author and he wasn't there from the beginning, how on earth, no pun intended, could he have, could he have written this account? And that's a good question. How could Moses obtain this information? Well, he didn't get it from any other source, any other human source. He didn't get it from reason or rationale either. The only possible way he could have received it was from God. From God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, we're told that we understand that the world were framed by the word of God through faith. Through faith. Say to your neighbor, through faith. It's a very important phrase. 
the origin of man, the creation of old as to be, it cannot be some product of ancient history because no one was there from the beginning, right? No one could know it. The only way we had any record of creation is because the creator gave it to us. Amen? You believe that? Now, again, unless you're willing to go through this series for the next 40 years, I have no choice but to jump around a bit and perhaps even skip some areas that might be of interest to you. So if there is anything that you're like, oh, wait, why aren't you speaking on that? I want to know more. I want to have a discussion. Now, I want you to email me or call me or text me or Facebook me or come visit, stop by my house, okay, or come by my office. Do whatever it takes. We'll have a discussion. We'll talk more at length. We'll have some coffee. You'll buy me coffee. Okay. Now, verse 5 is interesting because it begins with, no shrub had yet appeared on earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on earth. This verse alone, we can spend quite some time on, but we're not going to. I'm just going to kind of clarify it quickly. It's a, confusing, it's a confusing verse. It's a confusing subject matter. Is God going back before he made vegetation? Why were there plants, but at the same time, it seemed like there were no plants, no shrubs? First of all, from the beginning, the world, the animals, even Adam and Eve, they didn't depend on man to cultivate food. God, he provided all to them, so nothing depended on rain. In fact, it didn't rain until the flood. Do you know that? Until Genesis chapter 6, for about a thousand years, from day one creation until the flood, it had never rained. For a thousand years, it did not rain. Now, why am I saying this? Because when God planted all the plants and all the trees, he said, there was, no, and there was no need to cultivate the ground, no need to break the earth, no need to pull the weeds out because it had not rained. All they had to do at that time was simply indulge and enjoy what God had already made. I don't want you to be confused as to why, why, you're, why you're reading and there was no rain. It had not rained. How in the world was Adam and Eve or their world, their Eden, sustained? Because God had made a world of vegetation that didn't need water at that time. Now, I said all that because, and I'm going to skip along now, because I want you to know there's a lot involved, verse by verse. And so my challenge to you all is before every single week, at least read through Genesis, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Just read through it. Get a good study Bible. Get a good commentary. Go with your friends to the near coffee store and just talk about it and be like, what do you think this means? Ask questions and everything like that. Now, we can't go through the book verse by verse. This is a sermon, not a lecture. So let me get into what I believe God has called me to share with you all today. Can I hear an amen? I got a couple points. My first point is this. God, he blessed man with the abundance of his creation. God, he has blessed us with the abundance of his creation, abundance of his blessings. Now, what we've got going in these verses is a snapshot of creation before sin entered. Remember last week when we talked about this whole ideal world, this utopia? Well, what we read here is a picture of a normal world. It's a world that we've never seen before. What you and I have only seen and have only experienced now is the abnormal fallen, broken, war-torn, hatred-filled world. You know, whenever we see tragedy, whenever we see pain and suffering, and whenever we witness injustice, I'm not saying we say it cynically, but sometimes we just say, that's horrible, but that's just life. Don't we just say that? That's just how the world is. And it's true. Pain, death, suffering, it's a part of life. It's reality. But this broken world wasn't always so ugly. 
Verses 4 and 7, it's a reiteration of the creation account. And we're first given this chronological framework of creation. But we're also given this interesting logical order. And what I mean by that is what I mentioned earlier, is that the focus of that logical order is God's creation of man. God makes all this and it kind of dwindles down, trickles down to Man, one commentator put it, it was for man the unformed earth waited. It was for man the earth was planted and cultivated. So what was God's intention? Here it is. It was to bless us. It was to bless us. Say to your neighbor, it was to bless you. It was to bless us with the abundance of creation. We see that blessing again in verse 7 in the description of the creation of man. Man was formed. And that word, by the way, formed, is kind of like how a craftsman skillfully forms a piece of art, like how a potter gets a lump of clay and creates a beautiful vase out of it. It's kind of like that example. And that word form, it speaks both of the skill, but also of the sovereignty of God, and meaning God's creative ability in forming, creating it, but also his amazing power and control over his creation. He formed Adam. He formed you. You weren't just some little thing you make that God made. He formed you. He put his creative ability in you. But he also powerfully, sovereignly created you. Then it says that he breathed life into man. The word breathe is actually quite intimate. It's warm. It's personal. Face-to-face intimacy. Think of it this way, like a kiss. It's like a kiss. And in this context, this intimate gesture was an act of giving and also of creating. This giving of breath, this breathing life was an act of giving but also creating, of making. Just imagine, if you will, God bending down to form Adam from the dust of the earth and then gently placing his mouth next to Adam's face in order to blow into him the breath of life. You know, when I imagine this, I can't help but think of my newborn son. As I cradle him in my arms, he's asleep, and I'm just gazing down. I'm memorizing his features. I'm just in awe. And I'm thinking to myself, why doesn't this kid look like me at all? (laughs) He looks like Grace. My daughter looks like Grace. Everyone looks like Grace. I have like the most recessive genes. Anyway, so, <clears throat> but as I lower my face to his face and I place my lips on his lips and I give him a kiss, I can feel and smell his baby breath on me. Newborn baby breath smells amazing. If you never smell it, you can go and smell my kid afterwards. <laughs> and I can see this little life before me. I can see my son. I can see my creation. The one who was made in my image. You see, there's something incredibly wonderful and intimate and powerful about this description of God breathing into man. Like giving him life. You're so precious to our creator God. You know that? You're not some random act. You're not just some accident. God, he looked upon you, and he formed you, and he made you, and he breathed life into you. Precious child to our Heavenly Father. 
that he would bless us not only with his love, but he would bless you with his breath. Amen? But you continue to see his blessing in verse 8 to 14 in the Garden of Eden. Eden means delight. Say delight. God made a place of delight for man. It was a beautiful garden. It was a diverse garden. There were trees that were pleasing to the eye. There were plants that were good for food. Everything, despite the fact that there was no rainfall, but everything was perfectly maintained. The greenery was lush and it was full. All this was prepared for man. It was God's gift to his image-bearing creation. I made all this for you. I made all this for you. But a lot of people, they question the historicity of Eden. They might say, oh, yeah, 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 that's right, Eden, this place we can't find. Eden, yeah, I'm sure it's next to uh, Camelot, right, across the street from Narnia, three doors down from Platform 9 and 3 quarters. But Eden is not a myth. So God, he gives us geographical landmarks so that we might know that it is history. He gives us four rivers, two of which are still known by today's same name. Then God, he gives clues to the re- of the region so that the people of Moses' day would actually know. And then verse 15, we read that God, he took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden. And that word put, it's the same word for the word that we were using a lot last week. Can you guess what that was? Very good. Rest. Rest. The word that we discussed last week, it's the same word used in Psalm 95 about entering into God's rest. God, he plucked Adam and brought him into the garden to enter his rest. How many of you guys rested this week in the presence of the Lord? (laughs) She's laughing. She's like, are you kidding me? I know we don't live in Eden, but the Lord, he still abundantly blesses us in many ways. You know, the beauty of the earth is a blessing to us. A marriage with our husbands and wives is a blessing from God. The birth of our children is a blessing from God to us. Enjoying things, enjoying the delights of music, of food, of, of companionship, of adventures, all that is a blessing from God to us. Every second, every minute of every hour of every day and every night is a blessing from God to us. God, he graces us in more ways than we can count. That's why it is appropriate to say to ourselves that every once in a while we have to count our blessings. So this week, here's my challenge for you all. Whether you're at home with your family or friends or by yourself, this past, this next, or this week, take some time and just count your blessings. Praise God. Worship Him. Say, God, I'm not doing so well right now. Financially, relationally, academically, whatever you want to call it, professionally, physically. But Lord, thank you that I have this. Thank you that I have that. But most importantly, thank you that I have you. Count your blessings. The Lord is constantly lavishing his blessings upon you. Sometimes we're so distracted by, the, by circumstances, by difficulty, by we're, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, that we fail to see that God is, he has given us so much. So consider that. Amen? My second and my last point is this. That we have a calling, that is to obey God's word. Say, obey God's word. Now, as we're going over the beauty of Eden, we can't just skip over verse 9. There's two trees mentioned, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And again, I'll be talking about more in depth later on too, but life and knowledge, they weren't the names of the fruit of of the tree. But life and knowledge, they were the results of eating it. The tree, it wasn't magical. God could have very well used any other tree to make his point. 
I think if I was in Adam's case, God could have used a durian tree, and I would have gladly stayed away from it. Have you ever heard durian? You probably don't have to hear it. You can smell it, okay? But the trees, they weren't magical, but in a way, they're kind of sacramental in that there were physical objects or physical means of a kind of spiritual truth, of a spiritual transaction. These trees, they confronted man with God's will, that tree. It finally made man make a choice. It made it explicit. It forced Adam and Eve to no longer straddle the fence of, will I want to be a Christian today or not a Christian? There's no gray area here. Today, that moment when that tree, as it, as it, as it just laid before them, that moment they had to make a choice to say yes or no to God. And that's where God's word comes in. And that's really, I think, our issue in life too. Obedience to God's will. Obedience to God's word. Now the creative, same creative and powerful word of God that was used to create man and to bless man is now coming as a command. It's a prohibition from the creator. And we see that in verses 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is the very first commandment given to us in the Bible. And the problem is not eating the fruit. It actually started way earlier than that. The problem started when Adam and Eve questioned God. Why did God forbid us to eat? See, that was here in particular Eve's problem, questioning God's word. Here's the simple truth. God is a creator and he's sovereign. And God has shown the world and, how, us and, and us how much he delights in his creation, and in particular, his Adam and his Eve, whom he had made in his image. The same God who gave them the world, the same God who gave them each other, the same God who gave them life, the same God who gave them himself, and all the amazing wonders of the world, and all his blessings, the same God who spoke words to create life, also said, you know what? Don't eat this. It doesn't matter why. All that matters is that God, he commanded for his word to be obeyed. And yet, he was disobeyed. Why was this written? And that's an important question to ask every time we go through the Bible. Why was this account revealed to Moses to share with his people? And why is it preserved for us in the 21st century to read and to, what, are we, what can we glean from it? Well, let me tell you this. When this was written down in the time of Moses, it was given to him when they were about to enter the land of promise. And it was at this time that they need to hear this message. Remember, up to this point, God had already poured out his blessings onto his people. He supernaturally delivered them from slavery from Egypt. And then he guided them, split the Red Sea. God had made bitter water become sweet in an instant. God, he provided manna from the heavens, enough to eat every single day. God allowed suddenly refreshing water to come gushing out of a rock, not once but twice. God supernaturally guided and protected them through the years, throughout the wilderness, the Israelites have definitely known his blessings, but they've also demonstrated their ability to undermine God's word too. Shocking. Even though God clearly spoke on Mount Sinai, giving his people his commandments etched in stone, 
even though God had directly spoken to Moses face to face, even though all these amazing miracles and provisions and freedom from bondage had happened, they still found the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, they still found some reason or rationale for disobedience. They still found a reason to grumble and complain. They still found a reason to worship idols. They still found a reason to rebel and to live faithlessly through all the victories and through all the clear demonstrations of God being with them. They still refused in fear to enter into the promised land. So God, through Moses, wanted these people to see and understand You know what? There was a time and place just east of where you're at where God had faced a similar issue with the first man, Adam. Adam, who had been blessed even beyond their wildest dreams, but Adam, in the midst of all that blessing, he still refused to obey God's word as he was commanded to do. And instead of choosing life, Adam chose death. Moses was saying this to the people. Do you see, guys, God experienced this with Adam too. Let's learn from this mistake. And so from the act of disobedience, the whole of creation had been put under a curse. The whole human race had become sinfully natured. All generations have been destined to die. All of beauty has been stained and marred. The great garden of perfection and delight was lost, and there was death everywhere. Death has been passed down upon everyone for all generations. Why? Because Adam did everything but obey God's word. Adam tried to justify. Adam tried to avoid. Adam tried to distort. Adam tried to manipulate. Adam tried to ignore. He did everything but obey God's word. So let's make this real for us now. If Adam, the first man who lived in a perfect, flawless, amazing, and delightful environment, and then later on, Israel, with all their amazing witnessing demonstrations of supernatural blessings, if these people, if Adam and the people of God, if they could not remain faithful, what chance is there for any of us to do any better? Maybe some of you guys were mad at Adam. If only he had just been cool. None of this would have happened. Hey, I, I've thought about that many times too. I've dreamt of the day I'd go to heaven. I would first run to Jesus and I would just hug him, embrace him, kiss him, and then just fall down before him and worship him and adore him. And, but the second thing I would do is not visit my namesake, King David. No, no, no. I wouldn't even go to Abraham or anything. I would go straight to Adam and Eve. And then I would calmly yet passive-aggressively say, no, I'm fine. (laughs) Thanks to Jesus. But I think it's a fool's errand for us to start blame-shifting and say, I wouldn't be like this if it weren't for you. You need to be responsible for your own sins because you you are held responsible for your own sins. And I think that's the right question. It's not what could they have done better. It's what can you do now? And the answer is nothing. What can you do now? Nothing. We can't do anything about it. Look, it was by Adam's one act of disobedience that plunged us with him into sin. He was our representative. He acted for the whole race. And so all of us were already born under God's curse. And so there was no possibility that we might do any better than he did. But that's why we'll learn later from this book that God had established with us a covenant 
a pact, a promise of grace, not works. He made a covenant of his promises, not our good intentions. God had made a covenant of his mighty acts to save, not our limited, meager works. So through this covenant, one day, there came a second Adam. And there was a second garden. There Jesus came. Can you say hallelujah? Not in a perfect garden of Eden, surrounded by perfect world and perfect things around. No, but he was in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, surrounded by fallenness, brokenness, darkness, and bitter pain. There Jesus came, not living in glory as the Lord of all creation, subduing all dominion of all creations and things like that. No, Jesus came, but living in humility as the Son of Man. But what's also amazing is the dilemma that Jesus faced. Similar to Adam... But his response was not like Adam's. Jesus' response, even though he knew, even though he saw the agony of the cross before him, even though he saw the pain that he would have to endure as his disciples abandoned him, even as his disciples left him, even as people mocked him, even as the guards tortured him, every fiber of his body was screaming, I can't do this. I can't take this. This is too hard. This is too painful. Father, save me. Father, help me. Father, rescue me. Take this cup from me, Lord. In that moment of weakness, in that moment of darkness, he says, unlike Adam, unlike Adam who said, my will, not yours, unlike Adam, Christ Jesus looked upon the Father, crying, sweating blood, tormented, tortured, and he says, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours, Father. And by his obedience, there in the garden, there on that cross, the sin of Adam that has stuck upon every single person, that has blemished every individual, has been reversed because of Christ Jesus. As by Adam's one act of disobedience, we became guilty. By Jesus' one act of obedience, we are declared righteous before God. Amen. Not because we have been through a lot. Not because after all this time we finally learned our lesson. Not because humanity has finally paid its debt. Not because any of us have become good enough. No, we have been declared righteous in Christ because of God's mercy to us in Christ. So in Jesus, not only is our sin taken away, but someday, one day, the curse of creation will be completely removed. And we will see and we will witness a new creation. A new creation. We will witness a whole creation restored. It is then you will see what normal actually is. It is then you will see what we had lost when everything gets restored. Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. I don't want all any of us here to start wishing for an Eden. Don't wish for an Eden blessing right now in your life. God, bring perfection back in my life. Make my marriage perfect. Make my job perfect. Make my income perfect. Make my relationships perfect. Make my emotion, my physical health, all that. Make it perfect. We even keep, start, keep waiting to live for God once things come into place in our lives, once things start settling down, once a job is perhaps secured, or once we start making money. We were given one commandment from the beginning. One commandment. It wasn't, thou shalt be successful. 
Thou shalt make at least a cool million dollars. Thou shalt make the, drive the fanciest German-engineered vehicle. No, it wasn't that. God had one commandment, that was for us to obey the word of God. He asked Adam and Eve one thing, don't eat from it. Everything up until that point was just be with me. Live with me, walk with me, eat with me. And he says, but don't, don't eat from that tree. He had given us a word to obey. This is our call today as well. God has been speaking truth to you for quite some time, brothers and sisters. I know that. Look in your hearts. He's been asking you to surrender something in your life that's not good, something that's been taking your affection from God away from him, something that has been taking your heart and your mind and has been subduing you. He's asking you to surrender it. Maybe God is asking you to speak love. Maybe right now everything you say has been speaking words of bitterness and hatred and anger and vitriol. Maybe right now you've been so hurt in the past for whatever the issue is, that nothing but discouragement, nothing but negativity would come out. And the Lord is saying, you know what? Speak love. Speak forgiveness. Embrace that person. Extend grace to that person. Maybe today he's asking you to step out of your comfort zone and start actually proclaiming what you believe. That you say you're a Christian, say that you're a Christian. And extend that same gospel that saved you that many years ago to that person who right now, unless they hear the gospel message, is destined to die and go to hell. What is your calling? Your calling isn't what profession you'll end up doing. Your calling isn't who you'll marry. Your calling isn't how much you'll make. Your calling isn't anything else but simply to obey the word of God. God is not looking for the successful. God is looking for the faithful. To stop looking or wishing for an Eden, guys, brothers and sisters, means you start obeying what he has already spoken to you today. God's blessing of his grace and forgiveness and restoration is infinitely greater than the Garden of Eden that we could possibly imagine. God's desire for us to live in light of his glory and kingdom is greater than some lost paradise. The Lord, he continues to rain down his blessings upon us. And if you can't see it, talk to someone who knows you. They'll give you a whole list of why you have reasons to be grateful. But as his children and as followers of Christ, we must be faithful to obey his word. Without obedience, it would be impossible to know the greatest blessing of God. Jesus, when he came, he didn't take away our obligation to obey God's word. He came so that he could restore us. So that when we do obey God's word, we can do so with a glad and joyful heart. When you know who Jesus is, every word he puts forth in our hearts and in our minds through the Bible, they are sweet, they are profitable, and they're good for our souls. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's pray. Faithful Father, we thank you for this afternoon and for our friends and we thank you for this message. Yes, God, you are a creator. You have made all things. You are worthy of worship. But Lord, there have been so many times where we have robbed you of worship. Where we have robbed you of glory because of our own distractions or sins or whatever Whatever, it's, whatever it is in our lives, 
And maybe we get easily dismayed because of life's circumstances. Maybe life is just tough right now. It's hard. Maybe we've been on that rough patch and it's been more than just a season. Maybe it's been quite some time. And it's hard to let go. It's hard to move on. It's hard to reconcile. It's hard to just put forth a genuine smile. But Lord, you have assured us from this passage that you have given us the world. It's just sometimes funny whenever you hear of a guy try to romantically woo his significant other, he'll say to her, darling, I would give you the world. Father, you did just that. You gave us this and more to enjoy and to delight in. God, you will give us even more blessings. For you are God who blesses. I pray that you would help us to reflect on the abundance of your grace and mercy on what you have given to us already and that we would not discount it but be thankful every day and to remind ourselves of your constant blessing for us. But Lord, I also pray that you would now challenge us to live a life of obedience. When we're surrounded by the world and the world says everything opposite from what Scripture says, it's certainly difficult to follow after your voice. But we know what happens when we follow the flesh. We know what results when we follow the world. And that's what Adam experienced that fateful day when he decided against your will and for his. But like Christ, I pray that you would help us even though every fiber of our body is screaming no because it's painful, because it's embarrassing, because it's harmful, because it's this or that, that we would know, God, that only your way is true. That your words, they don't bring death, they bring life. That when we follow you, Lord, your words, it brings healing and restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation. It's when we follow our flesh in the world that the opposite happens. We become even more confused and more hurt, even more embittered. So, Lord, I pray for every individual here and the challenges that we individually face. Help us to grow. Help us to know you more. But I pray that through this journey in Genesis, we would not just get to know you more, but we would get to enjoy you more. That we would delight in you just as you have delighted in us. The God who breathed life into us. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you guys just a moment now to pray your prayer and to seek God. After all, when did you, when have you done this this week? But now that the message has been preached, don't ignore God's gentle calling. Whatever he's placed and illuminated in your life, in your mind, in your heart, 
Again, he may be asking you to surrender something. He may be asking you to repent. He may be asking you to change this perspective or this attitude or whatever it might be. But go before him. And say, God, I want to obey you. I, want to, I do not want to obey myself. I want to obey you, Lord. And then we'll get ready for communion, okay? So take a moment just to pray. And now as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you guys to take this moment seriously. For the Lord, he asks us to not cast judgment upon or uh, condemn ourselves by entering into this ordinance with a faulty heart, with a misunderstanding. But that we would partake in it in a manner that's worthy of the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is a time where you get to evaluate your own heart. I don't know if you've been able to do that this week, but just take a moment and ask yourself and ask God, Lord, how have I been doing this week? You may have a relationship with Christ Jesus. That will never cease. For the Lord has saved you. But you have to ask yourself, how is your fellowship with him? Has it been fractured, fragmented, broken this week because maybe of just overindulgence and sin? Maybe you've just been avoiding his word or disobeying, whatever it is. This is time where you get to self-examine your own heart and judge yourself and make yourself and get yourself right before the Lord. So take a moment and pray and ask the Lord, God, forgive me of this or forgive me of that. Lead me to honorably take, partake in this. I worship you to really remember what you have done for me up on that cross. Take a moment and pray. And for those of you who are not a believer, the Lord's Supper is for those who have professed and declared Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And I pray that one day you will be able to partake in this, signifying that you then become a part of the body of Christ. But maybe right now today God is asking you, he brought you here for a reason. There's a purpose. Maybe you searched high and low. Maybe you asked a lot of questions. Is this truth? Is that truth? Is that the way of life? Every other prophet or so-called religious figure in the world will always try to point elsewhere saying that is the way. It is only Jesus who points to himself and say, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, make Jesus your Savior where your sins will be forgiven. Confess him as Lord and accept the grace and mercy of God for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will become a child of God. If you have more questions on what that means afterwards, please come talk to me. But right now, for all of us, let's take a moment and pray. And for those of you who are believers, take a moment to reflect and judge your own heart. And when you're ready, Please come to the sides and you can join us in this time of Lord's Supper.
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Gracious Father, forgiving Father, glorious Father, we thank you that despite the sins of Adam and the pain and suffering that we all, the rest of the world and all the past generations had incurred because of his sin. Lord, that you had given us a promise. It was not an abandonment. It was not you leaving us high and dry. But Lord, you had given us salvation, a way out. You have given us yourself because that's how much you love us that you not only made us, but Lord, you desire to save us. And so you gave us your son, Jesus Christ. That there was nothing else in this world that we could have ever done to get into a position where we could merit salvation. But it was only by your grace. It was only by the blood of Jesus Christ who washed away our sins and made us right in your eyes, who made us holy who justified us. And so we thank you, Lord, for your grace, and we thank you for your amazing gift of your son, Jesus. I pray that we will continue on with this worshipful heart and understanding throughout the week, that we reflect upon what you, Jesus, have done, and that that will lead us into a relationship and a life of obedience. We thank you and we love you. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Please join me.